But I remember sitting there listening to that. And I watched this event on television as a 17-year-old little girl at that moment, not in any way imagining that my life would bend in an arc to take me near any kind of active role in the space program, much less that I would move from being spectator to all the great feats of astronauts to being an astronaut, joining that cadre. I am the only person to have walked in space and gone to the deepest point in the ocean. Hi, I'm Kathy Sullivan, and I'm an explorer. Exploring doesn't always have to involve going to some remote or exotic place. It simply requires your commitment to put curiosity into action. So join me on this podcast journey as I reflect on lessons learned from life so far and from my brilliant and ever inquisitive guests. We'll explore together in this very moment from right where you are. Spaceship not required. Welcome to Kathy Sullivan Explores. Before we take off, I have a gift for you. I believe that no matter where you are today, an active thirst for knowledge will help unlock your ability to live a life of meaning and happiness. So I'm sharing some lessons I've learned on my road less traveled. Over at KathySullivanExplores.com, you'll find my seven astronaut tips to improving your life on Earth. When you sign up, I'll send them to you and also make sure you're the first to discover future podcast episodes and learn more about exciting adventures ahead. Just head on over to KathySullivanExplores.com. For the first year after you've joined NASA as an astronaut, you're technically known as an astronaut candidate, or ASCAN for short. That just reflects the fact that you really don't know enough yet to be assigned to a real space flight. You don't know probably much about the whole agency and all the different pieces and parts of it and what they do. You don't have a clear understanding, most of us didn't, about how all the strands of work have to come together to create a space flight. You know what you studied in graduate school, perhaps, oceanography for me, but there are dozens of other technical disciplines that are very pertinent to spaceflight. And NASA wants to be sure that you learn a lot about all of those things before you're really put into the track that will lead to flying on the space shuttle. So ASCAN year was basically graduate school for astronauts. At least that's how I came to think of it. All those different technical subjects, orbital mechanics, meteorology, oceanography, spaceflight medicine, on and on and on. We had a crash course in delivered by leading experts from around the country. With our class, there was another objective that NASA took great pains to fill. There'd been a gap in time, a hiatus of almost 10 years between the preceding class hired before us and our arrival. So a lot of the early knowledge that was built up by the Mercury, Gemini, Apollo cadre of astronauts had begun to bleed away into retirements and people taking their careers in new directions. So what NASA set out to do was figure out a way to help transfer some of that early knowledge, some of the big lessons learned by the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo teams that were breaking new ground with every single flight. And they figured the way to do that was to bring back, to brief us, representatives from those various missions. And so that set of briefings created one of the most memorable days still in my life, and certainly I would say the most memorable day for me of our ASCAN year. The day started very early, early wake up and out to Ellington Air Force Base, where NASA's fleet of little T-38 jet trainers was kept. I think we had six of us, so two in each of three airplanes. And we needed to rack up some flying time. We had a target of hours in the air to meet every month, you know, skills to build and refine. So part one of our day was to hop in these three airplanes, 
fly across country for an hour and a half or so, and then fly back. It's pretty nice to get three hours and part of a day. So off we go, launch probably about eight in the morning, flew up to Colorado Springs. They've got a good Air Force base there, the right kind of gasoline, little snack bar where you can get some coffee, all that good stuff. Got our donuts, had our coffee, got the airplanes fueled up, hopped back in and raced back to Houston to make our midday briefing. Wasn't always in a hurry to get back to Houston, back to the base for briefings. I really normally would rather stay in the air and stay out flying around, but this wasn't any old briefing. This was the day we were going to learn about Apollo 11, the actual first landing on the moon. And so waiting for us in the astronaut office conference room were Mike Collins and Neil Armstrong. And over the next four hours or so, Mike and Neil walked through every aspect of the training flow that they'd gone through leading up to that flight, the issues and worries that had been carried over from the flights before them, what the big next steps were in addition to making the lunar landing that were parts assigned to their mission, what they needed to worry over, where they encountered bottlenecks, bureaucratic or technical bottlenecks, how they handled them. And then, of course, Neil recounted for us those very dramatic moments as he brought Eagle in for a landing in the Sea of Tranquility on the moon. And Mike, of course, shared with us really remarkable and moving and candid insights about what he was thinking and what he felt as he listened to and watched from afar all of those events, orbiting the moon alone in Columbia, the command module, the human being furthest away from any other part of humanity that you can imagine, and in the back of his mind, certainly wondering at least a bit whether he would end up going home alone because Neil and Buzz were unable to lift off from the moon or something went wrong as they landed and they crashed, or would they all three triumphantly go back to Earth, which of course is, is what happened. But I remember sitting there listening to that, and I watched this event on television as a 17-year-old little girl at that moment, not in any way imagining that my life would bend in an arc to take me near any kind of active role in the space program, much less that I would move from being spectator to all the great feats of astronauts to being an astronaut, joining that cadre, having some kind of prospects in front of me like they had had as young engineers. And here I was now, we were colleagues. It stunned me to think of them as colleagues, but they were just so congenial and so open and warm. That was a pretty remarkable moment of this already pretty fun day. And it got one step better because as soon as the briefing was over, I went back out to the airfield with another colleague. We hopped in another jet and flew out to Southern California where we both had some business to do over the next couple of days. So this magical day was, you know, two seat jet coffee and donuts in Colorado Springs, back in time for lunch and to spend the afternoon with Neil and Buzz hearing about landing on the moon and then popping in another airplane and flying out to California in time to have dinner with my parents. And as I let all that soak in, as I lay down to go to sleep that night, it was just such an astonishing distance from the place where I had grown up, from what I thought my life would be as I watched Neil and Buzz landing on the moon right after I had finished high school, heading off to college to study foreign languages, dimly figuring I would find a way to turn that into a lifetime of exploring our planet. And then shockingly, not even a decade later, having that blue flight suit, flying those sleek jets, 
and calling heroes of my childhood, colleague and friend. That's when you know you've arrived at a very, very special place. Thanks so much for joining me on today's mission. For more solo shows and deep dives with incredible guests, along with all the ways to get the podcast and much more, head over to kathysullivanexplores.com.